Well, hello there, awesome people. It's your host, T-Rev, and this one I've invited some guests on to talk about the current state of the U.S. Postal Service. Just because the 2020 election is over doesn't mean that we get to stop caring about the troubles currently plaguing the post office. We'll touch on some of the background info and discuss some possible solutions to fix the problems. First up, he's from the heart of Ohio, Ohio State alum and a current chemical engineer living where everything is bigger. It's Eric Perot. Hey. Welcome to the show. Glad to be on. And next up, also a native Ohioan, Buckeye alum, and current chemical engineer and my second longest tenured roommate, it's Jacob Salyer. Welcome to the show, friend. Thanks, Trev. All right. So first topic, we're going to talk about how do we fix the post office? And I want to just say, based uh, based like how this was uh, how this came about as a topic, and that is because we all recently went to Glacier National Park, and we had a little bit of whiskey right before bed. And Jacob likes to talk when he has a little bit of whiskey, and he's like, "Hey, I have what? this theory on how we can fix the post office." And I was like, "Oh, good, let's talk about this right before bed." I think bed. you brought that up, but <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I did. That's that sounds like me. So let's go through some of the background first before I start asking you guys questions. From the top, post office, it predates the founding of the United States. It has an obligation to deliver mail to every household in the country. Uh, The post office can be a way in which rural communities uh, come together. A lot of people only see each other when they meet at the post office. Uh, The post office is self-funded, even though it's a part of the federal government, and it's meant to pay for itself with the sale of services and postage. Back in 2006, a new law was passed called the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act, PAEA for short, that required the post office to prepay health care benefits for its retirees on a 50-year schedule. So that means they had to start setting aside money. As much as $5 billion a year for 10 years is what it was reported as and this law also put price caps on major products like first class mail so this limited the ability to the for the post office to raise money so unfortunately this law was passed with bipartisan support and the last thing i have here is so well at least before i ask, starting start asking questions is so it caused the post office to go from a profit of 900 million dollars in 2006 to a loss of 3.8 billion in 2009 It's estimated from this one law that about 74% of the cumulative net losses over the last 13 years can be attributed to just this one law. I mean, it's no secret that there's a lot of dysfunction in the post office right now. And so I was wondering, let's go through the questions here. Do you have any ideas on how it could be fixed? And Jacob, if you want to take the first crack at this, can you provide examples of solutions that have worked in similar situations elsewhere as a follow-up. So any ideas on how it could be fixed? Well, I mean, Travis, so we talked about this a little bit in our thing. So like that law, like you mentioned, it was, uh, that's sort of where the turning point happened. But since then also, I mean, the post office has been sort of 
micromanage, I'd say, with hey, you have a postmaster general that's in charge who is not necessarily like someone that knows how to run an effective like business where it's supposed to be self-funded, but it's not. So like anything you need to you need to bring someone in that can you give them some autonomy because as you could try to micromanage something like that with uh people in Congress that really don't know what's going on, um you kind of put yourself in a bad situation what happened with this law. So like you need to sort of bring in somebody you need to give somebody the autonomy to be able to fix it because it's gonna it's gonna get worse before it gets better, as with any like business you change. So you need to bring in someone that has experience in these. Like I know we talked about like Amazon is now the expert in shipping stuff. You get everything from Amazon and they deliver right to your door. I mean, I don't know if they deliver to every individual. So but I'm pretty pretty sure that. So just to no, just to say something real quick on this. My ask my girlfriend. Her parents or grandparents live in rural, small village India, and they get two day Prime mm-hmm. shipping from from so, uh, from Amazon Prime. So yeah, I think they deliver just about everywhere. So it's just like you you have someone that figure out how to make it work with all the requirements for delivering to every individual. So the whole idea of the previous stuff prior to that law, they they figured out how to do and make a profit and be much more effective, but. Obviously, you need somebody like that that can come in and understand what's going on because the part of prepaying for people's health insurance with pensions and retirees, it's it's something they should have been doing already because, like, that piece isn't as big of a deal to me because you have to do that at some point. Otherwise, it's going to balloon in the future. So you have to either restructure how you you provide for people's health care or something like that because it is a cost. It's a liability. You're going to take the hit now like, or later, essentially. It's going to happen at some point. So. If you just keep kicking the can down the road, that's not a bad idea. Maybe how they structured it was. But when you start capping prices and stuff like that, you kind of have to – you really tie someone's hands with what you're trying to do. And it's like you have to let them go. And if they – even if the first-class mail went up, right, if the post office turns a profit, you can – it's a government self-funding thing. You can reinvest it back in the community. Like it's something that, A, you either – lower taxes or do something with the money. You can provide another service with it, healthcare, fixed roads, whatever. The post office turning a profit is not like a bad thing. So capping prices like that, it's like, doesn't seem to be the most effective way to try to let somebody run their business when you're just micromanaging it like that. What do you think, Eric? Yeah. I mean, I guess to just start on with this, why did they pass that Postal Accountability Act? Yeah, that's a great question. So even reading into it, like most of the articles, it's like I have no idea why this got – and it got pushed through Congress like pretty quick too from, from both sides of the aisle, and I don't understand why. And that was kind of what I was trying to figure out is why they wanted to pass this and what their understanding – or try to understand where they were coming from when they decided to pass this bill to better understand like why it's in place and what their motives and objectives were, you know, because I feel like if you can understand that, then you could try and make the change to it. But I can't even figure out anywhere why they passed this. I mean, I guess they just didn't want the post office making money. But <laughs> I mean, honestly, that what that's what it seems like when you read through it is like, okay, obviously someone friggin' hates the post office and senators and representatives didn't really read the red legislation too much and just, or they did and didn't care and just rammed it through. 
Because I don't know, I mean, like, kind of what Jacob was saying, if you, yeah, you're going to take a hit on pensions and healthcare anyways, either in the future or now. So if you start setting aside money, that's fine. But the whole, like, complete handicapping of your ability to, like, raise rates to try and, right, try and increase the amount of money you're taking in to pay for this new massive obligation that you have to undertake, like, it's crazy. So the law stated that you can't, they couldn't increase prices above inflation. So, yeah, and that just doesn't really make any sense. Uh, I guess, like, capping the prices, I kind of can understand, since they do have a almost monopoly on mail delivery, not on, like, packages and parcels, but on just day-to-day mail. Right. Um, so if you wanted to put some regulation there, but then to try and make them pay more into a retirement fund than what they were making in profit a year, like – the math just isn't there. It, you're handicapping them. Yeah, it's and with that, I think it's also. I just, I just had to Google it. So since 2006, there's been four post. There's been four postmaster generals, and they haven't lasted more than five years. It's like you don't have anybody trying to lead, like lead it and make it sustainable. So no one's going to take the hit. You know, it's like a CEO of a company that's only going to be in charge for four years. It's like. Oh, I get this is a political appointment, so it's like it could change with every election cycle, and it's obviously not independent, which is supposed to be self-funding and sort of independent and serve the nation. But when you have something that's rolling over every four years, nobody's willing to take that like hit, you know, because there's going to be a little bit of struggle if you try to turn anything around. It's like the phrase it might get worse before it gets better with stuff, and it's. Whenever you're trying to do a business, it doesn't just take off if you have systemic problems, you know. You have to fire people. You might have some inefficiency, stuff like that. So no one's, like, willing to do that because you sort of are handcuffed by all these things that, hey, if I make – if the Polak makes a profit, like, who does it – at the end of the day? Who does it benefit? I'm assuming assuming it would go into, like, reinvesting into the post office, right? I I would assume it's very much similar to, like, what a nonprofit would have to do, right? They can't – they yeah. have to any profit they make has to go back into either salaries or investing in the in the entity itself right whether that's like yeah upgra- or, upgrading to some like new post office trucks or whatever that's i'm assuming where it would go yeah and if you make a 900 i mean i think a, when you say a profit it's like okay that's after you invest all that stuff and you could even give it back to people you know it's not like oh, the government can use that to upgrade roads that the post office drives on, like all the stuff that sustains the business. So it's like people have figured it out, obviously. Like Amazon's figured out how to do it profitably with, it's not an impossible task to do. As yeah, do, shipping. Right. Do we know that Amazon makes a profit on their shipping? Because I wouldn't be, su- I mean, this is just speculation, That's- but I wouldn't be surprised if they took a loss on it just to get their products to you quicker so you continue to use their service. Right. And like it is... That's- yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just I'm just speculating, but I would not be surprised if they did that. I mean, I wouldn't put it past Jeff Bezos to take a loss on something to grow the business. I mean, that's essentially what he's been doing, right? Like, it's not like Amazon yeah. is turning on turning out a uh, like record profit or anything, right? They're they're taking they're not producing a lot of profit so that they can just grow massively. So, I mean, yeah, I think mm-hmm. you may have a point there, Eric. Honestly, I don't know that they are. I think they're just I, like you said. I think they're doing like. One day shipping, two day shipping, just to to get enough people to sign up for Amazon Prime right. and then not use it ninety five percent of the time, and they're just pocketing. 
yeah. some moolah. Yeah, true. But you don't need one to two day shipping from the post office either. What is the post office right now? What's yes, I do, Jacob. I, I, I need it. <laughs> if I sent you a mail, I, I should have done this for this. If I sent Travis a letter in the mail, just standard, how many days does it take to get there? Oh, that would have been lovely. Probably seven days. Yeah, I would say probably five to seven days. So it's like you have a lot more it's not as critical for the speed stuff but also like honestly who you the other problem is who uses mail nowadays like uh i can tell you a lot of nonprofits who have sold my after i donate money to people and they give my name and address to everybody and their mother other <laughs> nonprofits. that's who uses the post office other than that uh not much i think my mom used it to send me one of those uh oxygen pulsimeter things <laughs> But like a lot Anyways. of the stuff they used to use it for, they don't even need. They don't even like mail. Like use it for like federal stuff, like government stuff. Obviously, if you have to send in like a form, but for actually shipping person to person, like right, like, here we use FedEx and UPS a bunch more. Like right. just. But let but let's be like real. Like that three plus billion dollar loss in like a basically a two to three year time frame. A lot of that isn't from people switching to email. Yeah. No, but it just makes it harder for the future, as you say. Hey, we got to fix this. It's not like it was. You know, you have a changing market. Yeah. So Jacob, basically, and what you you're to... arguing is like for Jeff Bezos to come in to the post office and fix it. If that, yeah, you can have some. You can have some titan of industry do it. I think, but you have to give people the freedom to do it as well, a what business. Wouldn't the first thing they do to be to try and overturn this act, like if anybody came in and became the new postmaster general or the CEO of the post office, the first thing they would probably do is try and get this act overturned. Like, I can't imagine. Oh, oh Eric. You're, you're so innocent, Eric. I mean... <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I, mean, I, I don't think you're wrong. Yeah, and that's the first thing I would try to do, but the problem is that how it, you'd have to deal with Congress, and good luck trying to get anything fucking passed nowadays. That's fair. Yeah, but, I mean... I can't imagine the problem is like when you say, "Oh yeah, we're gonna we cap these these we cap these mailing rates," but you know what? We're gonna uncap them because we need to. Everything uh, you you gotta figure it out. Nobody wants to raise anything like price wise ever. You know. The thing is, like, like I don't know. I mean, I, I, I honestly nobody uses. Well, I honestly don't know, but I would suspect that even before this law was passed, that the post office wasn't price gouging people. I mean, stamps stamps were still, like, 30 freaking cents or something like that. Like, I don't think they were being grossly, like, just price gouging the F out of people. So I, I just don't get it. I mean, I understand why they'd want to put some cap to say to prevent price gouging, but not – I mean, hindsight being twenty twenty, not a good approach. So kind of also coming back I to mean, what – go ahead. When you pass this law, though, you almost have to put a price cap because otherwise that's the only way they would be able to pay for – the healthcare would be to start price gouging people. Like yeah, you're asking them true. to basically turn four times profit in order to pay off their new expenses. And the only way they would do that would be able to raise prices. So you cap prices so they can't do that. I mean, it's, I don't know. It almost, yeah, sounds, it, it almost sounds like there was like a missing third component in that. Yeah. And I totally get, that's a good point in that you, you don't want them to price gouge people to basically undo the whole, screwing that you just did to them but the third piece right. was like i think there should have been some like bridge strategy or like stopgap like hey yeah so you don't have to price couch people here's like a block grant of some moolah to help you like along the way i don't know yeah but i don't even know if they did anything with like how they 
were paying, like, if they weren't paying for their healthcare costs, like, they needed to account for that because it was just going to hit them like a freight train at some point. I got, I get that in theory. Like, you have to, but, like, you need to do something about it. Then you can't just, I don't know if anybody's done anything with how do you restructure the pensions for the workers or do something to still give them what they want. But, like, at the same time, like, you have to figure out a way to make it sustainable. Like, if you weren't having a sustainable business model before, the problem is you were just going to come back at some point and be like, hey, we're out of money. Uh, we need $10 billion to pay for this. Everybody in Congress would be like, WTF. Like, yeah, why, did, why didn't you restructure sooner? Fair enough, I guess. Everything I had read and heard, this was kind of a one-of-one scenario. There's no other business or corporation that has to Correct. pay their health care in advance. They have to prepay it, right? They don't. Yeah. Right. So I thought that was kind of interesting as well. So if that's the case, like, yeah, I mean, eventually they were going to have to pay it, but it doesn't seem to be an issue for every other business to pay it as they go. Like, why was it foreseen to be an issue for the post office to have to do it? Right. I don't know. I I really don't get it. But so the one thing that I know I raised potential objection to when Jacob and I were doing our tent pillow talk was <laughs> was the, I was like, doesn't it set a dangerous like precedent that you have? I, I don't, th- me personally, I don't think that the post office should be privatized because I think then it gets, it opens a whole nother like couple cans of worms about the, all those routes to like Timbuktu nowhere. Like basically where I grew up as a child aren't profitable for the post office, right? But they're obligated by the government to, like, deliver mail to people to everywhere. So, like, if you privatize it, I don't see that as a good thing because I think long-term people could suffer by having, like, routes canceled and all that good stuff, right? Lack of access. But that – so that was my concern is, like, you have some – is that, like, a first step towards privatization? And I don't want to get too far ahead because that's, like, pretty much, like, the follow-up – the next questions is about privatization. But – Jacob suggesting that someone who knows the business from the private sector come in and run things like, I don't know, does it, that's not, that was my question. Like, does that create like a slippery slope, like a dangerous precedent? Like, wouldn't you rather basically what we were just talking about, wouldn't you, or what Eric said, why don't you just repeal the act or like reform it to make it a little less constricting? And yeah, you could, I think, I think the thing is, it's like, I would rather have anybody that has the knowledge of it running it versus I mean, maybe they have to, maybe you have someone come and say, yeah, you have to repeal this in order for it to be efficient. But either way, I think that's better than having a four-year political appointee running it who, I mean, maybe they know, I don't, I don't know the old postmaster general, so I don't know if they, they could all be great and have had, had it all figured out and be one of the best in the business. But that's not my impression with the situation they're in right now from a leadership, from a business leadership standpoint. What I read on that is Trump just appointed somebody who was outside of the post office to come in and be postmaster general. And that's like the first time in like the last four – I don't know. I'm pulling it up out of my butt. But like the last couple postmaster generals have all came from inside the post office, uh, that hierarchy. And Trump just appointed somebody from outside. Um, but no, I share the general concern about – and I know we're going to talk about this later. But by privatizing that you – you can potentially cut people off from the post office. I mean, living in rural Alabama for a little while, I'm very aware that Amazon, UPS, and FedEx don't service everywhere. 
and a lot of it is outsourced to the post office to then finish that last leg of a package delivery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I think it's a great segue, right? So, is this something that should be privatized? Was the question, and then would that set a dangerous precedent or precedent? Not president, duh, precedent privatizing parts of the government. I mean, I don't really know if it sets a dangerous precedent. I just don't know if it's what the post office should do. I don't know if it's the right move for that section of the government. I mean, I think there's definitely things that can be privatized, things that shouldn't be privatized. But I think the post office has ran profitably in the past, um, does so basically without tax dollars up to this point where they're now asking to be bailed out. So there's no, in my mind, need to privatize them. But And especially because you're providing a service to all your residents, I guess. Um yeah that they all use. I mean, we don't use it as much as we used to, I guess, but we all still use it. We all still get mail. So you're providing a beneficial service. And when you're providing a beneficial service, I think it makes sense to keep that as like a government organization. Right. Jacob. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't think you need to completely privatize it because it, it is a very useful asset for the government. You know, you have it in lots of like, you have lots of in prime locations, you know, like you have post offices everywhere that, and throughout the country, it's like a very useful thing to have. And I mean, maybe it's something you could figure out how to combine it with other government centers or something. But just, I think the step of figuring out how to how to bring it to where it was, and maybe it's just that act, but at the, it's probably not all that. I think having a different perspective is good for, in some aspects with it. But I think you also need, I don't think it sets a dangerous precedent, though, necessarily, because... The government privatizes lots of things that they have re- regulations on. It's like it's not like it's we require a bunch of companies to do a bunch of different things in order to make money. Like it's it's not like we have a bunch of we let people roam free when we privatize stuff. We put requirements for lots of businesses when we privatize them. Yeah. Or like say, hey, but I Sometimes, think it's such yeah. a value. I mean, you you can at least we yeah. don't always do it, but you can. <laughs> right. But it's something that could, is such a integral part of the government and such a value, potential valuable resource. It's like, why wouldn't you try to actually fix it first? And I don't know. I don't. I didn't look at all the postmaster generals, but if you find a way to make it profitable, you can provide more for those rural communities with stuff that you have. You know. I give you guys a week to research stuff, and you didn't look up every single postmaster general. <laughs> Shameful. Just kidding. Moving on slightly. So no, I I do want to touch on one thing. So Eric, you touch on a really good point. And I think this is the problem nowadays with being so like, I'm on this side or I'm on this side of it. And there's like, no, like there's, we're losing the ability to be objective about stuff. So like, I will openly admit I am not a Trump supporter at all. However, like I can like put, I can like zoom out and say objectively, okay, what we were just saying about trying to have somebody outside of the post office who works in logistics come in and like try to fix things. That's kind of what Trump did essentially with this Louis DeJoy. I get it. It doesn't look great that he contributed a lot of money to, to Trump. But like part of that is government. Like you can't tell me that somebody didn't get an, an appointment by contributing money to like president Obama or any other president in the past. Right. So like, I don't know. Yeah. Let's just call a spade a spade. Let's be objective. And the thing is, like, I don't – some things that might work in logistics I think still might not end up working in uh, the postal – like, the personal service. So, like, one thing in particular that I know that I read up on in Bloomberg was that the Louis DeJoy 
one thing he was trying to do was cut overtime. And so, which like on the surface on paper looks good. You're trying to reduce overtime and trying to reduce the amount of like, hey, we got a couple extra pieces of mail. Even though we don't have a full truck, we're going to send the truck out because it was more important previously to make sure all the mail was delivered on time regardless of the amount of overtime, right? So he comes in, he puts restrictions on overtime, and then you you ended up not – basically like delaying mail to the next day is what happened. And then you have mail that's like building up at the postal centers. And basically what the article said was – Instead of cutting the overtime on these like extra trucks that you're sending out and all that good stuff, what you should be focusing on instead of that is like trying to increase like the effectiveness of the postal sorting centers. So you're not getting letters like late in the day. And so you would never get into that situation where it's like, oh, we got to send out another extra truck, even though it's not full type of a thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm sure. As logistics, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know exactly how the thing works, but I'm assuming it's a similar thing that you have at lots of logistics companies. It's just how do you, where do you prioritize where you go, you know? And whenever you make changes like cutting overtime, he probably picked the, I know we, we talked about it a little bit. He probably picked the worst time ever to do that right before the election when everybody's concerned about stuff on time. It didn't look great. But in, but in general, if you if you did it, if you did it in January, say you did it in January or something, you had three months where three to four months where it's like, man, mail's kind of delayed, but then they start to figure it out as they get used to the new norm. Cause right. that's what everything has. You cut overtime and you have a dip and you're like, Oh shit, we can't do this right now. We're super ineffective. But then they start to figure it out. Okay. Three to four months, we cut this overtime, save costs, but now we're having back to the postal sorting. Maybe we should go fix that. And you can move on sort of the next bottleneck, you know? Right. Because you just picked the wrong, like, the dude picked the worst time to do it when there's a bunch of political drama associated with it. Yeah. Because in general, like, would I notice if a piece of mail I get is a day late? Probably not. Like, I notice what my Amazon package is, but I know what's coming with those. Yeah, right. That's Like, I don't know what mail I get. (laughs) Like, and if it's five to seven days, if it's six to eight, like, most of the time doesn't really affect you. It's just he just picked the worst. Not that... The sentiment was probably okay, but the order probably not necessarily the best, and the timing horrific. Yes, not great on the timing. When he, and here's the thing: like, it's not like they can really cut too many more jobs. I don't think. I mean, I go to my local post office here in Midland, and it's it's not crawling with employees. Like, it's it looks like a pretty skeleton crew that they're running across the board, and that's the the statistic. So, since 2009, they've cut 126,000 jobs. So it's it's not like they're not trying to do other stuff too, but I mean we we keep coming back to I think this law is like kind of handicapping them obviously. But from like a privatization standpoint, I, I just want to like make sure that it's mentioned that a lot of people and I, and I didn't realize this mainly because I'm I'm 26 and I don't get a lot of prescriptions through the mail, but a lot of people like really rely on the postal service to get like their prescriptions, and like the statistic is like it's. It's not 100%, but it's pretty darn close to 100% of, like, the prescriptions um, from, like, the VA, Veterans Affairs, Mm -hmm. is coming through the Postal Service to people, to our veterans. So, like, I think that's that's something where not – I don't know if a lot of people know about that, but that's something that could be potentially harmed if you privatize something and they start having to cut routes that are not profitable. And then, I mean – 
it's great that people say, well, you can just, just send an email. Okay, well, I'd love to see someone send prescriptions through email. I would I would really enjoy seeing that. Yeah, I wonder how much – that's interesting. I, I hadn't even thought about that. But yeah. It's like I wonder how much of that is, hey, you're part of the VA. Make sure you go through the post office because we're both like government agencies. <laughs> like we want to support <laughs> our guys. Maybe. Maybe. But I mean, it's like it, it is a, a fact. People need that stuff. So Yeah, I, but, and it's no secret. Like we just touched on this. Their prices are capped. So <laughs> the USPS is going to be cheaper than – uh, UPS, FedEx, DHL, because of this law. <laughs> so, I mean, it also has that component of it, too. Yeah, it might be like, hey, go head up my buddy Frank down at the post office. He'll hook you up with, you know, at <laughs> inflation rates <laughs> because he has to. <laughs> but so kind of moving to, like, the last piece, though, uh, before we, we switch topics here. So possible solutions that I've seen floated out there. I want to get you guys' thoughts on this. A couple things were expanding, like, the services that they offer. So the two things that I saw mentioned were selling hunting and fishing licenses. I don't know if that's going to drastically help you, but I mean, expanding the amount of services you can do. I mean, they already do passports. That's where I got or, uh, passport pictures. And then the other thing was banking. So being like, uh, like uh, you have, you can go there and have like a savings account essentially or a checking account, like being a local bank. So those two yeah. things that were floated. Uh, Any thoughts? I mean, they would make a lot of money being a bank. Everybody makes a lot of money being a bank. But <laughs> well, well maybe maybe not in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. But I mean, other than that, yeah, right, yeah. Uh, they would get bailed out quicker if they were a bank. Oh, true. <laughs> 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 make or lose a lot more money. <laughs> Go ahead. Aren't hunting and fishing licenses dependent on the state on like how they're distributed? Very likely, because so I think that's a state that's a state level decision, similar to driver's licenses. I think on how how and where they're sold. So I like that would be interesting for a federal government to kind of. I guess they wouldn't really have to be taking control if they were just selling them there, but yeah. it's still interesting. I know, like states, some states like Alabama probably make a good amount of money off those licenses. I would imagine so. Yeah. Anywhere where you have like yeah. a lot of like rural population, more I would say, not to paint, paint with a broad brush here, but I know people that live in the UP here in Michigan, and a lot of them go hunting. Like it's just kind of more prevalent right. in rural areas, so I would agree with and you. And so those states probably don't want to give up income to the federal government if they don't have to either. Yeah, it's I mean, I, I think it's a I think it's a good idea in at least combining where the services are offered because you know there's a post office in like every small town, you know. Like, in a small town, if you have, like, the post office, you have a DMV, you have all this stuff, if state and federal officials are in the same spot and you, like, share resources, do like that, I mean, it seems like there'd be some good opportunities for stuff there. Well, yeah. Like, if you're sharing resources, you have all the locations you need, you have all the stuff. If you're selling hunting fishing licenses, if you're printing off licenses, if you're doing a passport and a license at the same time, getting a new Social Security card, whatever it is, like... At, like, a government entity that does, like, obviously you're going to still have the state and local officials, but you have that in, like, the airports now. You have federal officials and the state officials working together in airports to make sure they're secure properly with TSA and stuff like that. So Right. But I would imagine that a lot of those, like, licenses you get at the courthouse anyway, and in those small towns, the courthouse is probably right across the street from the post office. Very likely. So, yep. 
I don't know how much convenience it adds to citizens by doing that. I mean, again, this is arguing against the post office making more money by doing this. Eric, you shut your mouth. <laughs> I mean, I think that one's a, at least a, I'd entertain it. The banking thing, I think, is they yeah, first office has zero expertise on that. They would just get like they'd either either offer way too good of stuff and then everybody uses them and they lose money, or they'd be like just non-competitive with like the big banks. Yeah, but maybe they don't have to be. Like, I don't know. It's I mean, obviously, government has no problem handicapping them in terms of pricing. I don't know that. I mean. They could do the same thing, put stricter regulations on the post office. If if you want to become like a banking or offer banking services, right, here's what you have to comply with in order to do that. And I, I've looked this up. Apparently until like the 1960s, the Postal Service was doing this anyways. Like they were offering these services pre- previously. I mean, do they know how to do it now? Likely not. Likely not. But they they have done it before. I, and I think the, the, one, the one positive I've like – can see in the post office offering like banking services is that I'm from like bum F nowhere, Ohio, where my neighbors are literally cows. Okay. I go through a lot of, it's not Kentucky, so you can't call them hollers, but whatever the Ohio equivalent (laughs) is of that, sorry, tiny valleys, whatever. I've been through a lot of those where they have these little podunk, little nothing towns that like you both have like stated, they have a freaking post office. (laughs) They don't have Anywhere to eat, like there's like not even a stop sign, but there's like a post office there, right? And so I think that actually would be beneficial to a lot of people who live in those like really small towns, rural communities. Uh, for where I'm from in extreme east Ohio, like a lot of elderly population live in those kind of tiny towns and areas. And maybe it's not easy for them to drive 20, 30 minutes to an actual bank. It, it, it might be beneficial if they could, you know, walk down the street or, or something like that. I don't know. I just see that helping – that could potentially help rural communities, at least with, like, access to services. Is there any bank now that's federally regu- – well, not regulated. I mean, they are all regulated, but, like, federally owned like that? I, I mean, I, or are I they all know. privatized? I don't know. I, no. I don't, I don't think they're all privatized, but – I mean, you have, you have, like, government institutions, right, like, for lending and stuff. Like Freddie Mae, Fannie Mac type stuff, but that's like bigger picture. That's not like. Well, Freddie Mae and Fannie Mac, they're not federally owned. Like the federal government contracts out services to them. So the federal government yeah. says, hey, I want to offer a loan. Affiliated. So, hey, yeah, affiliated. But it's like, it's diff. I think it's different in the same way. Like, whenever you get into these things, it's like, you just, like, it could be great, but then you just have the person have to have the guy that runs it right, you know? Yeah, no, that's fair. At the end of the day, and then with the political environment as it is, it's like if every four years you get changed and flip-flop and you're changing direction with stuff because of a new law, someone else takes power. And so, hey, I'm going to put my guy in there. And then you keep changing direction. You're just not going to be successful as like any sort of company, you know, that you have to have a long-term vision of how to do stuff. Yeah. No, because I... it's just not your primary focus. No, I agree. Like, I agree. I, I And this is where – I kind of think this is a good kind of like wrap up for this topic is for me, there's a reason why like typically the person in charge of the FBI is a 10 year term is because it's supposed to be across administrations. It's not supposed to be cycling every four years because I don't know like that, some like national intelligence, that sort of thing, kind of important. Mm -hmm. 
and you don't want a lot of turnover. You want people experienced and right. Like a 10 year term, I think is something or expand, whatever, maybe it's not 10 years, whatever, but expanding the term to the postmaster general, that doesn't mean they won't quit, but yeah, it, it's, if you could keep someone there longer, I, I totally agree with you, Jacob. I, I think it's stupid to expect change from people who are like turning over like freaking hotcakes, you know, like, it, yeah. It's kind of crazy. It's, it's quite the revolving door. So you don't you don't get people staying there and being able to enact some of these policy changes. You get someone else in there who has their own ideas, and then they try doing stuff, and it just ends up being a cluster F, at least based on what we're seeing currently. Yeah, you can say that with a lot of federal agencies. That's true, but we'll save that for like a topic of a separate uh, episode. <laughs> separate episode. All right, so let's leave that. Yeah, so I think that that's a good way to sum it up. Okay, cool. I think we've solved all the problems with the post office. Good job, guys. All right. Uh, hear us now. Quote us later. And, good you're wel- and you're welcome. If you have any feedback for the show or topics for future episodes, remember to send them my way. You can send an email to splicepodcast at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at That's So Jank. See you in the next episode.